is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Guarani Vision, the first ever podcast dedicated to Paraguay football in English. As always, I'm Roberto Rojas, and joining me is my great co-host, Ralph Pan, as it's just two of us today uh, here uh, at Guarani Vision, as we'll obviously kick off a new month, obviously a big month for Paraguayan football as a whole, with the qualifiers, sorry, with the Copa Libertadores and the Sudamericana starting very soon. Obviously, Paraguay are still in contention to qualify for the Olympics in Paris this summer. And of course, what's been going on in the league? Because we have seen some drama. We've seen already some controversy happen uh, only a few weeks into the season. So yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll get Ralph in right now. And honestly, it's been kind of a, I mean, last week we, we had this discussion about how it's been kind of hectic. I think it's been intensified uh, by a hundred percent, by a thousand times, really, just of all the news that we've gotten so far coming out of Paraguay. Yeah, that's right. Hi, Roberto. Hi, everybody listening and I'm watching No Feather today because the Futsal Copa America is being hosted in Paraguay and he's commentating on that today. So that's a, another thing to talk about at another time. But Paraguay is really trying to become a host for a lot of these kind of events in the lead up to, of course, the 2030 World Cup where they get a game. Um, but going back to the league, I mean, we were talking about it, it was it was really intensifying with the amount of games they had to start. They started the season with basically three games squeezed into a small space of time to really kick things off. It's, it's January as well, so it's, it's a surprising time to play. And now we've seen things really move on with, with Cerro, the best team in the league so far. But they were having a, a bit of a difficult time against Los de Mayo at, at halftime. It, it was nil-nil in, in Defensores del Chaco. But then, unfortunately, the game... Couldn't go on, right? Because we had this crowd trouble kicking off pretty much. I think it's like it was like 10 minutes into the second half. Um, and it couldn't be be put under control. And and eventually the players left the pitch. And because of the time that had passed between trying to calm the situation and not by by kind of the rules in in Paraguayan football, is you they couldn't come back out. That was the the time had passed, so the game was officially suspended. It's now we pretty much understand we think it's going to be abandoned, which would mean Cerro would lose points. That's not official yet, but it seems to be the way people are, are leaning. So it's it's kind of really thrown things into the, you know, a lot of things to talk about now about, about fan behavior, security in the country. But then also like what happens to the players on the pitch that were doing really well that have had a great chance of a good start of the season kind of cut short by their own fans. Yeah, it's it's been really kind of, you know, unfortunate to see a lot of these Cerro fans who obviously aren't involved in these kind of things get really left out. And obviously uh, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of punishment Cerro uh, are going to get because they certainly will get something. And yeah, it also kind of ruins the presence of what Paraguayan football is. I mean, we always see this kind of issues happening in Brazil and Argentina and occasionally in Paraguay. But for this to happen like this, it's, uh, it's a bad thing. So I was really... We got a lot to discuss. Of course, like you said, the futsal championship is uh, happening in Paraguay. Paraguay are actually one of the favorites to qualify for the Olymp uh, for the tournament in Uzbekistan this year. Ralph, by the way, this will be happening back in September. In September, and obviously, Paraguay are one of the better teams in the futsal world. You would say I think they're like top ten or have been consistently top ten for for a long time. So we expect them to make it, but we'll obviously get this perception of that when we have him on uh, in the next episode. But obviously, we'll speak about the Pro Pico because obviously here we are speaking in high notes, really. Really a positive Paraguay that, you know, we obviously had been able to 
speak about in high remarks uh, last week when we spoke about them beating Uruguay in that dramatic comeback win and then drawing Argentina, just barely getting the win uh, if it were not for a, a last-minute uh, penalty goal from Argentina. But Paraguay have done the business. They were able to get it done. They beat Peru uh, a few days ago, a goal from Marcelo Fernandez, one of the better players that has been really been, you know, shining in this competition. And because of Uruguay losing to Chile and, and all the other teams falling back, that, mean, that meant that with Argentina beating Chile, Argent, uh, Paraguay had qualified with a day to, with a game to spare to the final round. And now they'll be taking on today at the time of recording, they'll be taking on a Chile side that obviously haven't uh, been as good so far. They've only won one game. Uh, they've lost both of them. And yeah, I mean, obviously for Paraguay's case, they're in a situation where not only they have to beat Chile, but they have to obviously beat them convincingly. And with the final game between Argentina and Uruguay, because Uruguay are also eliminated, I guess they want to go out with kind of some sort of honor. But of course, this is a big one for Paraguay because if they win, uh, if Uruguay are able to win and Paraguay are able to also get the the three points, then they will finish in first to go to the final stage where they will meet Brazil and Venezuela. And Ralph, I think this is crucial. I think this is a big deal because certainly the way that it stars, like it is right now, if the if the if the group stage had ended now, Paraguay will be taking on Brazil first, the Brazil side that, of course, have been shining so far. They did lose their final game against that Venezuela side, the hosts, um, but it was kind of a reserve side. They had already qualified. They were already in a good spot, but Brazil are still a a tough Brazil side, nevertheless. But I think for Paraguay's case, getting that win against Peru was important. And, you know, to be in this position is is crucial for them. But I think now, I think for them is to hope that they can get a result against Chile and hope that Uruguay can do them a favor so that they can avoid Brazil in the final round and they basically take on Venezuela first before taking on Argentina in, in the second match. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been very positive since the last time we spoke on on the show and we were saying... They've got through the two hard games. Now they have arguably the two easier games, but they have to deliver. And they did. They delivered against Peru. Um, there were some changes to the team, right? Uh, Harasagier decided to bring in Enzo Gonzalez, which is talking about futsal. That's a player that started his career playing lots of futsal, which is why he has that really good close control uh, before going on to Libertad. And now he's at Wolves. And then the other player who's also at Libertad, so Enzo and so Gonzalez's old club is the Marcelo Fernandez, who you mentioned. So um, he brought in a couple of changes. It was a much more attacking lineup because they saw the opportunity to take the game to Peru. And I don't know, maybe towards the end, it, it was always a, it is always a bit kind of worrying when you only have that slim lead. And you know, could could they spoil? Could Peru spoil the party? But but in general, I thought Paraguay controlled the game very well. I thought they played they played some good football. They, they've obviously shown this way of being able to adapt from the game against Argentina, where it was very kind of gritty and, and, if we're honest, like committing lots of fouls against Argentina to the Uruguay transition game and then to more of a controlled match against Peru. So they've gone through this stage adapting their play to the, the opponent. Uh, they've made a few changes in lineup. And so, so far it's, it's looking, I think, quite positive for Paraguay going, going into the final stage. I'm, I don't know if I'm with you so much on the importance of today against Chile because it's a balancing actor. I I understand it. I think it would be nicer to maybe play Venezuela first and get Brazil towards the end when when hopefully things would, wouldn't matter as much or, or not have that kind of losing game. 
But then at the same time, we talk so much about managing time and players. So if this is a way to give people a bit more of a rest ahead of the final stage, knowing that either way they're qualified, we might see a more changed team today against Chile and actually rest the first team as in if they do not finish first, which wouldn't be the end of the world, of course, then you have a very rested team to try and take on Brazil. But I think now it's, of course, all looking looking towards, right, the, the final stage where that Brazil obviously looked really good. Venezuela may be surprised. I don't think people thought they were going to qualify despite being hosts because they had to beat Brazil. Um, but they managed to beat them last night convincingly, and that left Ecuador out of the, the equation. So Venezuela is a team that, you know, they have home advantage, but maybe Paraguay will feel they can get points against them. And then Argentina, who... It, it was a strange game, I think, because Argentina equalized very late on against Paraguay. But I don't know if it's fair to say Paraguay deserved to win that game because actually they were on the back foot for a long time. Um, and they were they you know they relied on on Angel Gonzalez, a goalkeeper, to to do a lot of uh, a lot of kind of um, what's the word like almost saving work to make sure they had something to to work from up front. So I mean, Argentina is going to be a tough game again when they repeat and play each other in the final stage. But so far, it's, it's looking really positive. I've liked the way, like I was saying, that they managed to adapt to game situations. And I think the big thing as well, and you kind of mentioned it during the the preview, is really seeing how much energy that these guys have, because I think it's going to be crucial, especially when you're playing against Argentina again and then Brazil-Venezuela, who they're also under their obligation to qualify. And I think Paraguay still feel as if though they're underdogs. I, I, I personally feel that way, because I think, you know, you would expect Brazil and Argentina, even before the tournament had started to to really go in and and qualified for Paris but of course we've seen an Argentina side that yeah okay they they were able to just get by um Peru they, they, they smashed Chile 5-0 but it was kind of a formality on that end so I'm curious to see what they do against Uruguay because I think they're more equal in the terms of talent and I think that will probably paint a picture of what they will do in the final stage but I think for Paraguay's case I think they, they need to go and get wins on all fronts for, for the final stage. I think that they, they can't afford to drop points because I think looking at it and, and rightly so, if they do finish second, which in my opinion, I think they will. I think Argentina will have enough to beat Uruguay. Um, so I think that means that Paraguay will play Brazil first and then take on Argentina, arguably your two hardest game, which I guess it favored them in the sense of the first stage. So why not do it again? So I'm curious to see what Carlos Jarasadier uh, will do with this side because I think ultimately... They need to go and win. Like there, there is no question. I mean, I think they could probably try to snatch a point against Brazil because I think they're arguably the hardest of the three games. But they need to beat Argentina and they need to beat Venezuela in order to have a chance to to qualify. Yeah, that's right. Because it's a final round of four teams and two go to to Paris. So yeah, you. I mean, you need to win probably two games. I'm thinking you need to take six or seven points to be able to come to come second. Uh, so. Well, sometimes teams can do it with four. It, it just depends on how the results even, go. Back. Even one. I'm just looking at it right here from last <laughs> year. Argentina and Brazil qualified for the Olympics. And this is actually funny, uh, Ralph. Uh, Argentina were the champions. They had won both their games. They lost the one against um, against Brazil. But they finished first. And Brazil, even though they won one game, they drew their two games. And who ended up winning the gold medal that year? Brazil. There you go. So, yeah. Yeah, there you know. go. So, so five points could do it. it. It kind of depends. But I think... Paraguay will obviously aim the 
Venezuela game would want to take three points. And then I think of the two, Brazil and Argentina, they they would feel they have a better chance against Argentina because of what we're talking about. I think they they kind of got their number a bit in terms of they stopped Barco playing. When Echeverri came on, they tried to stop him playing. It was a bit hard, but they they were looking to to target him. So they kind of, I think they have an idea of, of what they, the way they would want to set up against Argentina. And then what we might expect as well is a couple of these personnel changes. So instead of starting the tournament with um, it was it was Paso Hook was was up front, for example, uh, in one point. Um, but now it looks like Marcelo Fernandez is going to be that take that leading role. So so maybe Paraguay's just improved a bit. We'll, we'll see if Cantero plays the left back because Rivas was playing the first two games. Cantero came in the last game. Um, I don't know. There's aspects of Cantero that I like more, but there's aspects of Rivas's game which I like more, and he suddenly has more experience in terms of top-level experience. And that's maybe one thing to point out that Paraguay really do have in this team is you have a lot of players that have a lot of minutes at senior level. You know, Fabrizio Peralta has been really good that we talked about. He played over a thousand minutes at senior level last year. Fernando Cardoso has been used a lot off the bench from Olympia. He's had time in Europe, but he has over a hundred senior games. So even though it's an under 23s tournament, I think Paraguay have a really good group of, let's say professionals that have played at the top level, uh, you know, a considerable, a considerable amount of, games and that kind of has given that some of this in-game experience and and ways of managing matches um so yes it is positive it's tough but is is i think a positive out I, I might as well put you on the spot now and i think it's both of us where do you see paraguay uh this time next week <sighs> i think uh, well i don't think they can win the group i think think they could possibly come second and it's all going to come down to the Argentina game. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the, the crucial thing is that that is the second game. So irregardless of where they are, they, they will play that game second, which I guess in a way puts them in a position where, okay, say they have to play the final game against Venezuela, then at least there they have the obligation to win. Um, but if they finish first and they play Venezuela and they get the result, then it doesn't matter what happens in the Brazil game because they'll have qualified. But we'll see what happens, man. You never you can count them out. It's three games, three finals. We'll obviously see what happens today against Chile. See if there's no injuries, no big news to, to come about because I think that's going to be important. We'll see what kind of team Carlos Jarasadia will put out. If it will be an alternative team, it will be a mixed. We'll, we'll see what happens. And yeah, hopefully that by this time next week or the next time we'll be Back on the show, uh, Paraguay will have booked their tickets to a third Olympic. It'll be the third time they'll make it, 92 in Barcelona, 04 in Athens, where they won the silver medal, their only medal in their history, in their sporting history. And hopefully they'll be back in Paris uh, 20 years later. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that as we switch gears to what's been going on in England. Because obviously the big news coming out of Paraguay from there was... You know, not Julio and Tiso playing Twitch with uh, his team losing 5-0 against Luton. Not, nothing about that. It's about Miki Almiron staying put at Newcastle. There had been some rumors, of course, him linking to Saudi Arabia, obviously, from what I know, and, you know, obviously speaking to people involved. That wasn't the case. We had said that. And, you know, certainly, Rob, I think it's a good decision because, obviously, what we saw in the game against Villa, he came in, I think, in the late in the first half for Alexander Isak, who came out injured, and he provided the assist to... Uh, the third goal, the goal to J uh, Jacob Murphy, really the player that's kind of replaced him uh, in the last few games. 
But we've seen that uh, Almiron playing on the left, it's kind of, you know, helped them a lot. It helped them a bit. And obviously we saw that praise from some of the Newcastle fans. His, his manager obviously had huge praise around him. He said that even before the, the end of the transfer window that he'd like to keep him. He got his wish. And, you know, ultimately, I think for us as, you know, fans of him and, you know, wanting to see our better players play in the Premier League, I think it's it's good for him to to be in the position that he's in, to stay put in English football, especially with, you know, the friendlies and the Copa America coming uh, thick and fast. Yeah, exactly. I think we we all hoped he, he would stay in the Premier League and and then we talked about possibly having to go in June because you, you think now this rumour started and, you know, will it continue and, and rumble on? But you want to see him at the top level because he still can deliver there and he still has that kind of... I guess well, I guess it's just like that that versatility as well as a player. You're talking about him working on the left, and he has been used in a very different way throughout his career. I think he started on the left. Cerro played much more down the middle in Lanús and, and Atlanta. He's been on the right. He's been in teams where he has to defend a lot more, especially in the national team. He's been in teams that are a bit more on the front foot. So he, he's a very useful player, I think, to have, and and he can still deliver at this at this top level. And for Paraguay, that's kind of what we need is those those sort of players because we have this trio in the in the Premier League at the moment. You have Sanabria, who's always blown a bit hot and cold with the national team, but he's playing Serie A football. And so you need these players really at a top level, and we're hoping for some more. It didn't happen this transfer window, um, but maybe maybe in the next one, you know, your Ramon Sosas, who's been very good for for Paraguay so far. Well, yeah, Matias Segovia. Yeah, Matias Segovia. He went to he went to Belgium. He went Good. to uh, there to one of the teams. I yeah, don't remember. If I could just double check. Molenbeek, yeah, that's a good point. Um, Segovia goes on loan, which I think is a really good move if we just move to that quickly. So Segovia actually and Almiron, that's funny. I hadn't thought about this before. There's a very similar playing style from when Almiron was much younger. He was very skinny. Maybe people think about him working hard now, so maybe you don't think about his his lack of athleticism. But actually, as a kid, he was really skinny, and that was a big problem for him. He was used off the bench, off the bench, off the bench at Cerro because uh, they, you know, there was a time where they weren't sure he could play for ninety minutes. And then, of course, you know, things changed. He got conditioned, and he's a totally different player. But Segovia is similar. That what people are worried about Segovia is not his talent, which is full of, but it's the physical attributes. He's quite small. He's not particularly big in terms of muscle bulked out. And so this is a great test to go to Europe for six months and see how he can fare in in a, in a senior division in in Europe compared to playing what he would be doing if he stayed in Brazil, basically playing the state championships because the Brasileira doesn't, doesn't take place until later in the year. So I think it's a good move for him because it's better playing those games in Europe than than playing the state championship. Then there's a different argument, right? Is the Brazilian league, as it is, stronger than the Belgium league right now? That's probably, I would say, because mm-hmm. Brazil is is just you know full of money and full of big players at the moment. Um, but in terms of the the this time of year, I think it's really good that he gets to to make that jump. And then just going back to Almiron, I think is is up to him to do the best he can to the, to the end of the season, but. The the kind of rumors started now, and I'm sure in the summer something will be happening. But let's hope now with more time he can find his place in a in a good division, in a good league, in a good team, where I think he can still deliver.
yeah, and I think it's it's a crucial time, you know, with the final six months of of what's going on with uh, Paraguayan players. Obviously, we don't see Almiron uh, leave. Julio and Ciso hopefully will be back very very soon with Brighton. You know, as they obviously have to deal with multiple competitions with the uh, the FA Cup. They got the um, uh, what they call the the Europa League. They still have to play that, and obviously see if they can qualify somewhere for the Premier League. So definitely got to focus that. And Enzo Gonzalez as well, who you know he's he's done well enough, I guess you would say at, at the at the at the Preolimpico that hopefully for Wolves, a very good Wolves side by the way, they they've done well this season. Hopefully he can find a spot in Gary O'Neill's team very soon, and you know can get some playing minutes there uh, for the rest of the season. So we'll see what happens there as we close out. For another topic here, and really the one that I think has kind of been unfortunate, you know, we did see some more fan violence that we mentioned at the beginning between the the Barras and the in the section of Cedro, the the kind of the ultras uh, fighting within each other, and you know, ultimately this was condemned by all fronts, not just Cedro fans, Olympia fans, Libertad fans, everyone has seen that, and you know, ultimately, I think Ralph, this is kind of something that you know, as us, you know, as you know, foreigners to say, you know, we're obviously American born and you're British born, so. For us, that's not used to it as we're used to it, uh, be it in the States or in the UK. I mean, you've lived in Paraguay. I've been to Paraguay multiple times. We've seen that. And, you know, I personally have never been able to see violence. I'm fortunate enough to, you know, obviously been very safe going to games. But, you know, looking at what's been going on and what we saw with this and, you know, seeing the game suspended, especially a central side that have been really picking up really good momentum. They've been playing so well. And for this to happen, especially during a time where, uh, the, the momentum is at a good is at an all time high. It's it's not what you won, and you know I, I'd feel pissed off if I was a fan, not just because of what the team have been doing, but for you know kind of these these so called fans ruining the essence, and now they have to suffer perhaps a loss of points, perhaps playing without fans for a significant amount of time, and that's a big loss for them financially as well because that brings in money, especially with the Lear the is coming up as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing really more to say, and we could hold, we could have another podcast episode of what, how to fix Paraguay <laughs> security in in football matches, but we don't have the time to do it. But again, this is it doesn't paint a good picture for Paraguay, especially for something that we probably gonna see in Brazil and Argentina. For this, this is just complete another chaos. Is the right word I could say? Yeah, it's. Um... Well, firstly, I think it's, it's disappointing for both Cerro and also the Paraguayan FA that it happens in the national stadium, right? Because we actually saw the week before Paraguay, uh, Cerro sorry, were playing in Sol de America Stadium and lots of people got in without tickets. There wasn't any violence per se, but there was a lack of security. And people thought, okay, well, you know, you shouldn't take Cerro to this small stadium because they have too many fans and this kind of stuff can happen with like um, overselling of tickets or... or problems at the turnstiles but then when you're at the national team stadium and it wasn't full it's this kind of thing you you would hope doesn't happen and, and why does it happen i mean well that's yeah like you said that could be a whole podcast but it's very disappointing that this is of course an internal uh fight between two factions of the the organized fan groups of cerro the barras and they're Two factions have basically been fighting each other since since time began. You know, I don't know when it all started. And then they have little ceasefires and and peace pacts. And for a long time, they were they were together and and being together, especially when the the, the Nueva Oya began. So when the new stadium came in and there was space for everybody and tickets for everybody, because these guys get free tickets into games. 
then that's part of where the you know the the fighting is over but there's other things about controlling certain economic aspects of the of the club if it is like like security in terms of looking after cars and to try to explain all of this to a non-paraguayan audience might be a bit complicated but but there's politics involved as well you know they they help the the club behind that which is why they've always been given a chance to go into these games um and then there's also the true point that they do provide a great atmosphere which is what a lot of people like too but anyway with all of that when there was this kind of peace pact between the two they're called commando and, and la plaza things are fine and it, it moves along but of course I don't know what's going on right now, but you could see it was brewing up with the Sol game. And now it happened here. It, it exploded. And when this happens, it's not like sometimes what you have is there's a lot of kids in these groups. I mean, kids like teenagers. There's a lot of drugs that are happening, of course, like we can't hide that. And sometimes things get heated and they have a fight. But you have the leaders of the Barra who are older guys who don't let that happen in the stadium unless they're letting it happen. So it's been allowed to happen. It hasn't like got out of, you know, this is almost like organized violence. So something is going on, something is happening. I, I couldn't understand what it is. There's no elections at the moment in Cerro, sometimes with presidential elections. This is when fan groups happen, not just in Cerro and in, in Olympia has been the case in the past. Luqueño, who are very big fan groups, you know, they the, the presidents of the clubs are looking for these groups to help them and then that can spill over. So I don't really know why it's happening. There was no reason in the game for it to happen. It was nil-nil. It was a little bit frustrating, but Cerro weren't playing badly. Um, there, there weren't any like terrible refereeing decisions that would get you kind of riled up. Um, and like you were saying, they're doing so well in general. You, you didn't. Why would you want to stop that happening? So it's it's very disappointing to see. I'm I'm hopeful that the the, the Paraguayan FA will will dock points. They've never officially done that in the league before they've done it once in the copa paraguay when olympia will but olympia were losing four nil at halftime and their fans kind of you know got got into a similar situation but that was more against i guess the referee or against the opposition team and they got suspended and and libertad were handed the win but they were already four nil up this is a bit different because it's nil nil and what we've seen a lot in the past is these games the, the remaining minutes get played out behind closed doors, which from a sporting point of view would really help Cerro that, that will happily play these last 40, 35 minutes at home because it's a home game and and probably win. But I'm hoping that their FA take a stronger stance because it's really going to be the only way for the clubs to try and do something about this, which, which by doing something about this is identifying the people, which Cerro have said they will do, but will they really do it? And stopping giving free tickets to the bars because by giving them the free tickets, you're you're allowing people in. You're not controlling who's coming in, and this kind of thing happens. Yeah, I think there there has to be this sort of law and order because I think what we see in Paraguay is kind of this you know very easy way of going in, and you, you kind of mentioned it there. So even then, and there had been some frustration. I mean, I I do want to ask, you know, maybe there is a frustration of also the games being played late. I think there had also been something about bringing in physical tickets instead of electronic tickets. So it's been kind of a, it's been kind of a weird week for Cedro as well, kind of going through this kind of environment that you would say was from the past, you would say, because I think the way that they've been performing is, or at least a club should be acting is not the way it should be in 2024. I mean, that, that's just my assumption of it, Ralph, but I don't know, man. I think it's, it's very weird that this would happen 
out of just pure rivalry when they're always there all the time. So why is this happening now in comparison to the years before? And yeah, like Doc points, I, I was about to ask, like, I don't think I could recall a team ever being docked points in a, either ever or a long time. It's, it's been that very rare to, to see it happen. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't remember. I mean, the, the worst one in terms of fan violence that I remember is the Cerro Guarani back in like 2010, 2011. And it, it got quite serious because I think bricks were thrown and like the goalkeeper of the opposition team could have been seriously injured. And so that game got suspended. But again, I don't think... I can't remember what happened, but I feel they, they ended up playing it out behind closed doors. Um, th that was a really good point. You mentioned, though, about the printed tickets. I forgot about to, to talk about that. So, so Cerro have a digital ticket system. If you go, even if you're a foreigner, you have to, like, register an email and they'll, they'll give you your ticket on your phone and you scan it. Um, and that, of course, gives accountability. Uh, both financial accountability because there's a tra an electronic transaction, but also in terms of whoever had the ticket is is in their name. For whatever it is Cerro, I'm playing at their home ground while they redo the the floodlights, so they've been at the national stadium. And for whatever reason, the national stadium, not Cerro or the Paraguayan FA, have asked for printed tickets. And that's yeah, like you say, that seems very strange to me. Why you would want a printed ticket system because it's much less accountable. Um, I don't know why all that is happening, but that's a great point. They they brought in that system in this game, and and we saw this this violence erupt. It's not, of course, the violence isn't because of printed tickets, but I'm just saying that's another lack of accountability. Yeah, that, that would be something that, that would be really petty to, to yeah yeah to, to blame it on that. Um, the the late kickoff is a good point as well. We've seen the games a little bit later than normal, um, and of course that's more time to be drinking and more time to be. Um, kind of doing activities of the night before you you go into the stadium so that that could have played a part but like i say this that that kind of happens often and and the leaders of the barras shut that down if if they don't want it to happen they have enough power for that so i think this is something else that that's brewing i, I couldn't tell you i'll be off the pitch remember a lot of these guys paraguay is a relatively small place asuncion's a small place these guys kind of live together as well. There's there'll be like other rivalries happening totally unrelated to football, to daily to daily life and to to just trying to get by day by day where where you know resources are are not abundant in Paraguay. So there, there's other stuff probably going on as well behind the scenes that, that we're not aware about. Yeah, it really is unfortunate because I think you and I have always been asking, you know, what is the environment like? You know, you don't see this kind of stuff. And for this to happen, it kind of paints a, a really bad picture. And, you know, hopefully the, the Paraguayan FA and Cedro can really put in something that is needed. If it is dock points, then yeah, so be it. And I think that's something that they have to understand that this is something that we have to deal with. And, you know, you could take out the environment kind of stuff, but if that's the case... Yeah, I mean, I'd rather that, and especially as a center fan myself, I'd rather that happen rather than risk, you know, more points being lost. Or, you know, if, if it's the case of having to play without fans and I could win a championship, so be it. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd want, but of course, that's a whole different scenario of how to handle, like, actual like fans getting in, how to police. Like, that's, a, that's a whole different story. But we'll get to that hopefully one of these days as we close out another great episode of Wedding Vision for myself, Roberto Rojas. And my co-host, Ralph Hanna, thank you so much for listening in. See you soon.